0: Well, Good morning, Arbor. It is so good to be with you this morning. My name is Jake, and today we are not continuing. We are not beginning. We are concluding our series on Peter. After 12 ridiculously long weeks, we are landing the plane. And to give you perspective, this plane took off when kids actually went to school. And by school, I mean a school, a building, not our house. Peter tells us in God's word that a day in the life of the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And I didn't get that, that scripture until this pandemic. And now I understand. It makes sense. But from day one, our goal for this series has remained the same. And that is this, better understanding Jesus through the life of Peter. Peter got to walk and to talk with God in the flesh. And his story, it provides us with an insider's perspective of of Jesus's time here on earth. And so we've been walking through Peter's life, looking at his story and the many chapters or the different sides of of his story. And we've kind of put descriptions to him. For example, we started off this whole thing by talking about Peter, the ordinary. Peter is an ordinary fisherman and Jesus comes along and he performs this miraculous catch and fills Peter's boat and after that simply says, follow me. And Peter in that moment drops his nets and follows Jesus and becomes not a fisherman but a fisher of men. Because what God likes to do is he likes to take the ordinary and through the ordinary, through us, do the extraordinary. We talked about Peter the ordinary. We also talked about in the second week, Peter the bold. He was fearless. He was a natural risk taker. At one point in time in Jesus's ministry, he was walking on the water to the disciples and they were all in a boat and they got a little freaked out. And Jesus says, don't worry, it is I. And Peter says, well, if it is you, Lord, Then call me to you on the waves and I will come to you. And so Jesus says, come. And Peter gets down out of the boat and he walks on the water towards Jesus, a bold, bold move. But he gets distracted and he sees the wind and he sees the waves and and, and he starts to sink and he calls out to Jesus and says, Lord, please save me. And so what Peter does or what Jesus does is he reaches out and grabs Peter and, and saves him. And we learned that when storms take our focus, fear takes us under. But when Jesus is our focus, his love, he lifts us up out of our circumstances. We talked about Peter the learner. And the word disciple actually means learner or means follower. That's the literal translation. Peter would later write this in his life. He said, for we did not follow there it is, follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But here it is, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter got to observe how Jesus interacted with people. He got to listen to his words firsthand. He got to watch how he moved and how he spoke. and He was right there and he was able to learn First hand from his teacher. There's Peter the rock. And, and at one point in time, Jesus, Jesus said and asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And Peter um, responded, we think you're the Christ. I think you're the Christ. And Jesus says, on that rock of a statement, Peter, you are correct. And I will build my church. And he nailed that one. Peter nailed it. He got it so right. But he didn't get everything right all the time. In fact, he got a lot wrong, including that night. Later, Peter pulls Jesus aside and and, and says, hey, you can't go to Jerusalem. If you're going to die there, it's our responsibility that we don't allow you to go there. And Jesus rebukes him on the spot. Get behind me, Satan. That's not what I came to this earth to do. I came to this earth to die. And so he got some things right and he got some things wrong. Peter, the failure, like us, Peter, let Jesus down. And on Good Friday was anything but good for Peter. It started off with a dinner, a last supper where Jesus basically let the disciples know, hey, look, all of you are going to fall away from me. Uh, You're going to fall away from me. And Peter said, no, no, no. Lord, even if all these guys, if they fall away from you, I will not. I will never disown you. And then like Peter, I got something right, and then I got something wrong. He literally later that night abandons Jesus in a garden and then he denies him three times in a courtyard. Like us, Peter let Jesus down and it tore him up inside. And scripture says that he wept bitterly. But from that point on, and this is a key point here, Jesus went to the cross And as he went to the cross, he took our sins, my sins, your sins, Peter's sins, and he killed them on the cross when he died. They died with him for all eternity. And then three days later, the miraculous happened. Jesus came back to life, and the resurrection proved that Jesus is who he says he is. And Peter the failure became Peter the forgiven. Jesus said, hey, go and tell my disciples and Peter, right? He included and Peter that I'm alive. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it lets us know that Peter had a personal meeting, a personal conversation with Jesus post-resurrection. One-on-one, they got to talk. And it probably reminded him of a conversation of forgiveness that Peter had with Jesus early on. Where Peter asks the question, how many times should I forgive someone? You know, seven times? That's a lot, right? And Jesus is like, no. As many times as it takes. And Peter, I forgive you as well. Friends, we have all failed. We have all experienced failure when we let Christ down. But we can all experience forgiveness through him. Eventually, he became Peter the Restored. And on the shore over breakfast, Jesus reinstates Peter. He reinforces the call, not only as a fisher of men, but now as a shepherd. He gives Peter this public opportunity to declare his love and his his devotion to Jesus. He basically says, hey, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you, and then feed my sheep. Be a shepherd to my people. Not just a fisher of men, but shepherd them as well. And then Peter, he steps up big time. Peter, the preacher. Peter finally becomes the faith-filled leader that Christ called him to be. What was the difference? The difference was Jesus went up to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down. And mister, I put my foot in my mouth. I've had no formal teaching. Stands up. And he speaks up to the multitudes about the good news of what he experienced with Jesus. And the result is that thousands, thousands of people came to faith in Christ that day. And the church began. Peter the preacher was also Peter the healer. With the Holy Spirit alive and active inside of him, he performs miracles and it's ridiculous, friends, people heard about Peter and the impact that he was having and healing. And so they would lay down their sick in the streets in hopes that Peter's shadow would cross and pass over them. And if it did, then they would be healed. And scripture says that all were healed. In fact, Jesus raised the dead, and Peter did as well. A woman named Tabitha had passed away, and Peter goes in, and just like Jesus did, Peter does the same and raises pa- Tabitha back to life. Yes, Jesus is our ultimate healer. No one's arguing with that. But sometimes God allows us and even chooses us to heal others through, heal others through ourselves, through us. That's Peter the healer. There's Peter the liberated At one point in time, Peter was arrested and he was put in prison. He was locked up, naked as a jaybird. He was chained down to around 16 soldiers. And what does Peter do? He takes a nap. He sleeps. The peace of God was in this man that no matter what the circumstances, no matter how crazy it was, he had peace enough to sleep in that situation. And then an angel comes in and rescues him. And throughout the whole escape, he basically did nothing. And he just walks and follows along as if he was dreaming. And actually, Peter did become Peter the dreamer. He had a dream on the roof of Cornelius' house. And, and it was there that he was shown that salvation is not just for the limited people of Jew, the Jews. It's for all of mankind. And so Peter, who was known as the apostle to the Jews, was simply moved out of his limited view to understand what Jesus' plan was all along, and that was to save all of humanity. Every person, me, you, all people. And he argued about this with Paul, this exact thing in Galatians 2. And that is basically the last that we heard about Peter, as far as scripture is concerned. Eventually, Peter is executed. He becomes a martyr just like Jesus predicted. Jesus told Peter this. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Early church historians, Jerome, Clement, Origen, Tertullian, generally agree that Peter was crucified head down by Emperor Nero in 64 AD. It was said that Peter did not feel worthy to experience the same kind of crucifixion, the same type of death as his Savior and his Lord. And so he begged and he pleaded to be crucified upside down, and they did so. My friends, that is a snapshot of Peter's life. That's a snapshot of his story, the story of a man who was all in for Jesus. For better or for worse, he pursued Jesus honestly in a way that I want to pursue Jesus. He pursued Jesus in a way that we all want to pursue Jesus. He loved Jesus in a way that I want to love Jesus, that we want to love Jesus. He knew Jesus in a way that we long to know Jesus. It was 30 years basically that we have of his life, a transformation from a fisherman to a world changer. But before Peter died, what he did is this, is he penned some of his thoughts. He wrote two letters, two letters from Rome, letters that circulated to suffering Christians throughout the Asia Minor Minor region and you might know these these letters as two books that were written in the New Testament first and second Peter first Peter was written to encourage to to teach about handling difficulties coming from outside of the church also known as persecution second Peter was written to teach about handling difficulties within the church heresy this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend the remainder of our time and conclude this series by looking at these two books, by looking at Peter the writer, Peter the wise. And I want to tackle this question. What did Peter learn that we can learn as well? It's the same question that we've been asking from the beginning of this series. What do we learn or what did Peter learn looking back on his life about Jesus that we can learn as well? First is this, is that Jesus has chosen us. Jesus has chosen me, Jesus has chosen you. Peter was handpicked by Jesus. He was called, he was chosen. Jesus pursued him, not the other way around. Peter was fishing and Jesus comes up to him and says, would you follow me? I want you to come with me. And Jesus picked him and he has picked us as well whether you are a calvinist or an arminian god looked through time and space and history and he chose you he selected you and he picked you to be with him peter wrote this he says you are chosen you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. Peter is writing mostly in this situation to Gentiles, and yet here's what he's doing is he's using language and word pictures and imagery that are associated to Israelites, God's chosen people. He uses words like royal priesthood or holy nation. And what Peter's doing and what he is saying is that salvation is no longer limited to a select group or a select tribe or a group of people. It is now personal. It is available to all people. You have been handpicked. I have been handpicked. We have been picked. I don't know if you experienced this growing up when you were on a playground where people pick teams and you have two captains and then you all line up and the only thing you don't want to be is you don't want to be the last one picked. You don't want to be that person. We all long to be picked. And Jesus has pointed and said, I want you to be on my team. I've shared this story a little while ago about when we were looking for a house. Um, and, and that was when the market was crazy. And everybody was uh, putting in multiple offer or offers that were way higher than the price of asking. And we were trying to find a house during this period of time. And in the midst of that, we threw our name in a hat and our our bid in a hat uh, to a house that we absolutely loved. And we could only go so high and we went as high as we could. And we come to find out later that we were not the highest bid. And yet the people who own the house, they picked us. We wrote a letter saying, hey, this is our family. We'd love to live here. And they picked us out of this pool of people to have this house. From what I understand, from what we understand, they left about $75,000 on the table. A decision I would not make as an owner, but yet they picked us. And Peter is saying that we are chosen. We have been handpicked by God. The second thing, the second truth we learn from Peter the wise is this. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Peter wrote this. He says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, into a, here it is, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I have... Question: whether I should share this story or not. I don't want to be um, irreverent or irreverent in the midst of this, but (laughs) but I'm going to go for it anyway because there's basically, again, nobody here to stop me. Uh, But years ago when I was a youth pastor, I was driving home from a houseboats camp. And when we were driving home, I was in my truck. I was driving. I was with Allison, another pastor on the team um, who's with us, and then a guy named Jeremy Johnson, who's a friend of mine. And we were coming home from this camp And on the way home, we stop at a truck stop. And apparently at this gas station, I uh, picked the wrong kind of food. Because from there, we took a drive, we were coming from Canada, we're in Canada, and we're driving down and all of a sudden my stomach starts churning and starts going sideways. And friends, we are in the middle of nowhere. Like I said, we are in Canada. We're in the middle of nowhere and there's nowhere to stop, nowhere to pull over. And you might think, well, why don't you just pull over and, you know, uh, relieve yourself on the side of the road. It wasn't that kind of pull over. It's kind of a, a sit down job, if you will. And so here we are, we're driving and it is getting desperate. Friends, I'm telling you this story years later because that's how bad it was. And we're thinking, this is not good. We've got to do something, but yet there is not civilization anywhere. We're in Canada, again, in Canada. And all of a sudden, as we turn the corner, we see a sign, a road marker that simply says this. It says seven or eight kilometers, which I don't even know how far that is, kilometers to a town called Hope hope was on the horizon i knew if we could just make it to there and we did we made it to there but in the moment i was desperate until we found a town called hope and maybe today you are desperate you are desperate i've talked to so many people who in the midst of this pandemic that it is taking the toll on on so many of us friends Maybe you're in this, there's so many people I've talked to that are lonely, right? They just want someone to talk to because there's nobody in their house and it's quiet and it's just, it's difficult. It's, it's hard in that way. Or maybe it's just you've got kids and it's chaos, the noise, the volume. Maybe when it comes to work, you've been laid off and you're like, oh man, I am desperate. What's going to happen? Where, where's the hope in this? I don't have a job. Or maybe you're like me and you're all of a sudden, your jobs become twice as hard in the midst of all of this and it's work, work, crazy. Where is the hope? Friends, the hope still lies in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. Peter wrote these words about about hope. He said, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So many people use that verse when it comes to evangelism, but I want you to know what's at the center of it. The center of it is hope. And that hope comes from Jesus, and Jesus is our hope. Peter witnessed the resurrection, and through the power of the resurrection, a resurrected Christ, he had hope like nobody else's business. And we share in that same hope because we share in the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is our hope. He is also our example. Jesus is our example, especially in times of suffering. Peter wrote this. He said, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your, here it is, example. And you must follow in his steps. Like we said, Peter had the absolute pleasure of watching Jesus in action. He saw him person to person, and he got to witness this example, how Jesus interacted with people, how he spoke, not just what he said, but the tone in which he said it, what he did when people weren't looking. Peter got to see this glorious example of Christ. And even in the midst of suffering, Peter watched him in the garden as he prayed. Peter was there and saw him taken by the guards and saw his suffering. Peter would later write this about the example he witnessed. He said, Jesus, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that he or so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Friends, I am so grateful for the grace of Jesus and the example that he set. He is the perfect example. And like him we can be made perfect as well. None of us are perfect. But we are made perfect through him. Suffering, pain, hurt, trials, all that crap is going to come. And some of you, it's here right now. And for some reason, Peter warned us about this. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. As if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, not just glad, but be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Friends, in some kind of crazy way, our suffering connects us to Christ. I've said this before, when you're suffering and you're in pain, you can either run from him or you can run to him. And in this suffering, we have an example of how we are supposed to act, how we are supposed to behave, how we're supposed to love. Jesus is the perfect example. Peter is a good example as well. And lately, my friends, I have been privileged to observe a beautiful example of suffering and being faithful in the midst of suffering. This is my friend Aaron, and Aaron, uh, I got to meet him when I was a pastor at Overlake way back in the day, and and we became friends. And he came on this church plant with us from the very very beginning. And when he came in, he, he invested, as he has for so many years, into kids. And specifically, he even invested into my kid. Here's a picture of my son, of Percy, where Aaron gave him a lightsaber as a gift. Aaron uh, and I share and geek out on, on nerdy things like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. And he is a kid at heart, and he has ministered faithfully to kids throughout the years. But the thing is, is that maybe not a lot of people know is that Aaron has been suffering since he was a kid. He has had and struggled with diseases that I can't even pronounce many and different kinds throughout his whole life. And lately, he has received the diagnosis of brain cancer, ironically, in the same location that Maggie had her cancer and so I have been visiting my friends multiple, multiple times throughout this. It's, it's lonely for him. It's hard. This is the end of his life. He's 35 years old now, and, and he's probably within his last days. And I, by last days, I mean maybe a month. He's decreasing quickly and quickly. But here's what I want you to hear about his suffering, not just in these last moments, but in his whole life. Ever since I've known Aaron, he has never complained about what God has allowed in his life. In fact, you would think that he would ask the question, why would God allow me to go through this? Why would I have cancer? Why is this happening to me? And the only why that he's ever asked me as a pastor is this, why isn't God taking me sooner? He is so ready to go be with Jesus. He's not afraid. He's never complained. It's a beautiful example, an inspiring example that he has inspired me in my life. If only I could trust with that kind of faithfulness in the midst of suffering. He's a great example. Jesus is our perfect example of what does it mean to follow follow God in faithfulness. I want to conclude with this. The first words that Jesus said to Peter was, follow me. And the last words that Jesus said to Peter that we have on record in the Bible are, follow me. And he followed Jesus well. Peter was not perfect. He was far from it. We're not perfect either. And maybe that's why we relate to the guy. I I relate to him because I know I'm not perfect. But the one thing that Peter did throughout his life, according to scripture that we see over and over again, is Jesus. In his story, Jesus was at the center. Jesus was at the center in his life all the time. He clung to Jesus. He trusted Jesus. He followed Jesus. He loved Jesus. He knew Jesus, like I said before, on a level that I long to know Jesus, on a level that I'll probably never experience until the other side of eternity. And so to conclude, I want to say this. Peter knew his life was coming to a, conclo- to a close, and, and here are the words that he commissioned his church, the last words in 2 Peter. He commissions us to move closer to Christ. And I, and I commission us to do the same here today. Here are the words of Peter, and then we'll be done. Grow which Peter did. He grew a lot when it came to when he first met Christ to to when he died. Grow. Grow in the grace, which Peter came to understand grace like nobody else's business. Grow in the grace and knowledge. (laughs) Peter the wise. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And like we said from the very beginning, it's all about Jesus. To him, be the glory, both now and forever. Amen.